Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. On January 3rd, 1957, four missionaries landed their plane upon a small strip in the, of sand in the Curry River in the jungles of Ecuador. Sometime before this, these four young men sensed a call from the Lord to reach the Hanari people, who were known for being particularly violent and unreached. They had flown over the village and made some initial contact and were hoping to make further contact. They knew their calling was dangerous and perhaps deadly. After three days of them being on the strip, a small group from the Hanari reticently made contact with the missionaries. They took one of the young men flying in the plane, and at first all seemed to be peaceable. However, the leaders of the tribe became suspicious, and rightly so because others from the outside were equally eager to make contact. But these others wished to destroy them and take their land away. Soon, jealousy overwhelmed the leaders of the Hanari, and they planned to attack the, missionary, the missionaries. At 3 p.m. on January 8th, the Hanari made contact again, but this time with the intent of killing the four men. Shortly after this, the missionaries were dead, and fearing retribution, the Hanari torched their village and fled. One of the missionaries' names was Jim Elliott. Perhaps a few of you have heard of him, for I think of the, all of them, he is the most well-known outside of the mission world. But the one thing he is remembered for above all else is a small little note that he left in his journal several years before. He wrote, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Elliot and his four friends gave their lives, which they knew they could not keep in order to glorify God and to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Perhaps to some of us, this sounds absurd. But this morning, we meet another man who is waiting in eager expectation to meet Christ, eager to know Christ and to see his captive people set free. This morning, we meet Simeon the prophet, as I was studying and thinking about this passage, I was taken away by the thought of how Christ's early childhood narratives, he barely seems to be there. He is simply an infant given to the will of his earthly parents, and as such, shepherds, magi, angels, his parents, and of course, two prophets become the focus of the narrative. And yet, even in this Christ is glorified, and we come to a deeper understanding of who he is as our Savior and incarnate Lord. We, of course, know Simeon's song well, as it's sung or recited every evening prayer or even song, and it's referred, it's referred to as the Nunc Dimittis. The song was traditionally used by monks during their last time of prayer during the day. The words in Latin, Nunc Dimittis, mean now you dismiss, referring to Simeon's prayer of, Lord, now let your servant depart in peace, which, of course, is Simeon saying, 
Now I am ready to die, ready to be with you, for I have seen what you have promised. The monks use this prayer as a closing out of the, of the day, as part of their intentional reminder to habitually lay down their lives, habitually die to themselves, which is our calling as well. For the monks of old, the end of the day was yet another call to repent of their sins of the past day, to die to themselves that come the next morning, if the Lord willed it, they may rise to new life. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. The English translations of Simeon's song begin with addressing God using the, Lord, the word Lord. However, this is fascinating because the word that is used is not the word typically used in Scripture when referring to God the Father as Lord, nor when Scripture refers to Christ as Lord. Instead, it is a far less common use that is, word that is used that is only used a mere ten times in the New Testament. In almost all other cases, the ESV translates it master. One time, it is also translated Lord, and that once, when used in conjunction with that other word for Lord, it is translated sovereign. These translational choices give us a glimpse to what Simeon is trying to say. He isn't saying, God, now let me rest. No, he is saying, my master, my king, my ruler, my sovereign, my dear owner of my soul. Let me now lay down my head and let me rest in your sweet mercy. Simeon sees God not as a distant sky fairy nor a benevolent grandfather. For Simeon, God is not far off, but he is the ruler and possessor of him as a human being. And by extension, we are called to rest in God in the same way. And this begs for us the question, are we willing to give up our entire lives for God? Are we willing to say to God, our lives are in your hands? Are we willing to trust God with every detail of our lives, from the grandness to the minute? Do we believe that he is no fool, that gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose? To Simeon, then Simeon prays for death. Lord, now let your servant depart in peace. Do you find your satisfaction in Christ in the same way Simeon did? Do, you, do we see that his coming into the world and into our lives is the culmination of all good things that God had planned for his people? If God took our lives today, would we smile and say, my life is complete. I have done all that God has called me to. Or would we know somewhere deep down inside that we had failed to glorify God, to love God with our totality of being, and to love our neighbors as ourselves? Are we willing to let Christ be our everything? My friends, the bar for being a Christian is somehow both extremely high and extremely low. And we will fail to meet that high bar. I have failed to meet it time and time again. I am the chief among sinners. I fall down. I fail to love. I chase false gods. 
My eyes wander, I doubt, I grow weary and grumpy like the Israelites in the desert, wandering and wondering, how long, O Lord, is this really a good plan? Recently, I have felt the increasing need to abide more richly in Christ, to renew my trust that he is the good and sovereign and the ruler of my life. For I know God's sovereignty intellectually, but sometimes I grow distressed that things are not working out the way I want them to. Yet I have seen God provide. I have never been without. I have never wanted. I have never gone hungry except for when I fast. I have, not, I have always had a roof over my head, a friend to talk to when discouraged. I have rarely had a lot, but the little, the little I have has been more than enough to get by. God has always faithfully provided I have seen this through my life with Christ, in the tears and the joy, in the anxiety and the peace, in the seasons of little and in the seasons of a lot. He has been there. If he can provide in this way, surely he will provide in every other way. Surely he will guide me. Surely he has proven himself to be a faithful and good master. And now I must abide. Beloved, we will sin. We will feel utterly unworthy of our calling into Christ because we are. But Christ is the father who runs to meet the prodigal son in the field, who puts upon us the best robe in the closet when we come to him, who celebrates and kills the fatted calf for us. Christ rejoices and embraces us when we've wandered and returned home. Not only that, But Christ will leave the 99 for the one lost sheep. Christ will come for us. Christ will guide us, heal us, forgive us, and love us. So let us not fret for one moment. We have not earned, we have not and cannot earn our salvation. And this is the point of Christ's death and his resurrection. For we find grace and forgiveness, and in that we are called to reside in him. We are called to trust him with every aspect of our lives. We are called to know that he is our sovereign master. We are called to abide richly in him. We are called to die to ourselves, that he may live abundantly in us, and in that we may live abundantly in him. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I hope we can see vividly that God calls us to obedience, calls us to give up our lives, calls us to see him as our sovereign Lord and master. But how do we know what it is that God has called us to do? Simeon says that these things are according to God's word. And we know from verse 26, which we read this morning as well, that God had revealed to Simeon through the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. But how do we live such spirit-filled lives? For aren't we promised that if we are in Christ, we are given the Holy Spirit? A wise man once told me, you give the Holy Spirit by words by knowing God's word. 
Of course, we know that the Holy Spirit is actively drawing us closer to God, is actively reforming our hearts, is actively giving us a deeper conscience, a deeper understanding of right and wrong. We know that the church is uniformly drawn to some purpose. It is probably the Spirit moving her to do so. But how do we as individuals habitually live in the submission to the Holy Spirit? It begins with knowing the word of God. It begins with reading it voraciously, reading it as though it is the bread of life where we will find living water, letting the words renew our minds. It is here that we find the pure form of the word of God. It is here that we see how he has acted for a millennial before the coming of Christ and how he came to die to set his captive people free. It is in God's word that we come to know his character, his goodness, his love, his mercy, his justice, and all his attributes. And so let us be devoted to the task of knowing God, not to earn something, but that we would know him and that he would know us. And in that, we would learn to be conformed to his will, that we would be better servants and children, that we would be able to pray Simeon's prayer more faithfully, and that we would know that there is no fool, it is no fool who gives up his life, gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Perhaps Simeon is endued with some great wisdom. Perhaps he knows that Christ must die this death of shame to take away our own death, sin and shame. Perhaps Simeon knows that Christ will be scorned and rejected. Perhaps Simeon is wiser and more faithful than Christ's very own disciples who will will prove to be at the crucifixion. But nothing stands to tell us that he knows that this is the case. No, Simeon simply prays, my eyes have seen your salvation. For he is endued with the Holy Spirit and recognizes Jesus as the Christ simply recognizes that Jesus will be the one to bring freedom to God's people. Simeon knows who this little baby is, but does not know how God will act, and that is enough for him. We too know of God's deliverance. We too know that we are given peace in our abiding in Christ. We too know the end of the story that Christ will return, but we do not know how we will get there. So when the earth trembles and when the nations quake, when people are evil, when they plot and when they gossip, let us not waver, let us not falter, but say, mine eyes have seen your salvation and persevere with faithfulness. And remember, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. But now Simeon says something amazing. Think for a moment about the disciples. They all seem to believe that Christ came to be the temporal king of Jerusalem and Israel, to drive out the Romans out of that land and to establish a new state, to sit upon his ancestor David's earthly throne. But Simeon does in fact seem to recognize that maybe, just maybe, Jesus is more than an earthly king. For it is before all people that Christ is prepared. 
It is before all people that Christ comes and it too, and it is Christ who will judge all people at the end of time. It is to Christ that every knee shall bow. At the coming of Christ 2,000 years ago, we find the beginning of this, but not the end, though it is the beginning of the end. And then Simeon does a double unfolding. He recognizes that Christ is the light for the Gentiles and the glory of God's people Israel. This is in the Christ- this day in the Christian year is commonly called Candlemas. It was that the day in which the church traditionally blessed her candles for the year. And people would bring candles from home to be blessed as well. Nothing in the church building is there by accident or happenstance. Rather, everything, including candles, have meaning. For we have set this building aside for intentionally for one purpose alone, to worship God. We have set it aside to be a sacred place. Like all things in the church, the candles are, mean something. We light them as a habitual reminder of Christ's coming into the world to save sinners. We light a fire on Easter vigil and carry the light into the church, proclaiming that the light of Christ came into the world. The light of Christ is being resurrected, proclaiming that all hope is never lost. And then our priest or deacon sings the exalted at the vigil, reminding us of the importance of that light in our lives and in the world. The candles are lit from the Paschal candle and act to remind us of the light of Christ in our own lives. And so when you see the candles on the altar, let them trigger your memory that Christ came into the world to enlighten you and I. That Christ came into the world to set free from the darkness of our sins. That Christ is our light and our hope but he is also the glory of his people, Israel. Israel is God's people. Israel was set aside to be a blessing to the nations, and this blessing is the coming of Christ. By bringing Christ into the world, Israel glorified God, and in such, Israel is glorified by God. Yesterday, as I was driving home around sunset, I was thinking about the beauty of our earth. My favorite time to come home from Phoenix is, from Phoenix up to Sunset Point is that hour before the sun sets. It sparks in me such an appreciation for God's creative power. And as my thoughts wandered to how one day God will recreate the earth, when God restores all things to how they were meant to be, how much more beautiful it will be. And then I realized what will be truly beautiful will be to experience God's glory. For now we see through a glass dimly, but then we will see fully, experience fully. We will not be separated from the glory of God by our sins, but will bask in his love and glory perfectly. This is what God does for sinful humanity in Christ Jesus. He makes us free, makes us to know him through the through this, throughout throughout of his love, and more importantly, it glorifies God because another has recognized that God is the good and sovereign master of their lives.
Another has recognized that he is no fool that gives up what he cannot give, gain, keep, to gain what he cannot lose. I started this sermon with the story of four missionaries who died on a sandbar in the Ecuadorian jungle. And perhaps you are wondering how we know so much detail about them, in particular their death. Well, a few years later, two of their widows went to live with the tribe. Through this, several of the Hunarian people came to know Christ, came to know his freedom, and came to be faithful followers of Christ. And in this, the four families became inextricably interlinked with the Hanarian people. One of their sons came to be friends with one of the men that killed his father. And one day a reporter said to him, I understand forgiving someone who killed your father, but how can you love him? The man thought for a while and then came to an old saying that perhaps we all know. Hurting people hurt people and realized, perhaps, forgiving people forgive people, and loved people love people. We are forgiven, and we are loved, and as such, we are to be forgiving and loving. We, if we reside in Christ, if Christ is our sovereign Lord, if we are given to Christ the totality of our being, then we know the words of Jim Elliot that he scribbled in his journal several years before, several years ago, are not folly, but true. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. For what an incredible goodness we gain when we reside in Christ. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.